Well, I get the privilege of being part of your Luke series. I get a couple of goes at this. Well, I guess it depends on how I do this morning, whether they can have me back, but that's the plan anyways. I'm supposed to come back. I just want you to know. But uh, I've been asked to do Luke 5 and 6, and so we're going to look into a bit of that. love to cover the whole thing, but it doesn't work that way. So if you can open up to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning. We can't really hit on all this stuff, but as you'll see, we're going to center on Luke chapter 6 because it's a whole package, actually. The whole chapter is all building the most important teaching that we need to hear. Jesus got it right in, right at the beginning, ground floor. I fleshed it out through the rest of the, uh, the story of his life, and then certainly into the letters it gets fleshed out. But I think it gets missed and often with all the busyness of what we do and what we're called to and our families and our work and church and all the rest of it, we can miss this, the most important message of all. So I really appreciate the opportunity of sharing with you this morning. Luke chapter uh, 1 to 4, as you know, just overview again, is, is all about Jesus, his birth, of course. We just had that over Christmas and uh, his ministry and his release into him and uh, one in four is just Jesus doing the stuff. He's just modeling it. When I say doing the stuff, I mean declaring and demonstrating the gospel with power. And uh, then as you move into the next chapter, chapter five, there's a transition that takes place. Not just Jesus doing the stuff, but Jesus inviting others to come along and do it with him. And then when we go into chapter six, we find Jesus begins to do some training with those that he's calling. So Jesus is still doing the stuff getting others involved in doing this stuff, identifying leaders, training them, releasing them. That sounds like a pattern, doesn't it? uh, Just in the whole chapter 6, as we get into 6, we see this very important message, and I'm hoping that we can do justice to it this morning and the busyness or the quickness with which we have to go through here. But just looking back in chapter 5, before we go on to 6, Uh, Just to point out a couple of things, just a radical response. I think it kind of sets us up for the heart we're looking at in chapter 6. You'll see that. But in chapter 5, we have Jesus starting to call others into it. As you know, in Luke 5, verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. He's talking to some fishermen. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore. And just underline this, they left everything and followed him. (laughs) Uh, statements like that sometimes kind of rock you. I think, what? I mean, Jesus says, hey, you guys, you're fishing all your life. You're going to fish for men now. Come follow me. But just hanging around Jesus, they wanted to respond. There was something in Jesus that said, we're all in here. And then they go on. I mean, here, Luke 5.27, at the end of Luke, you got the sinner of all sinners, Levi. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth, He said, follow me, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. (laughs) Doesn't that kind of blow your mind? I mean, here's, this guy's just been living for money, you know, and helping himself to your money, actually. And uh, he's considered the sinner of all sinners. And I, I think it's just an amazing thing, but it needs to be underlined and encouraged to us this morning. That's what God calls us to do, you know. We're all in Jesus. I mean, he may not require you to leave your job. Normally, he doesn't. But somewhere along the line, he might. 
But we see in these first of the disciples responding to Jesus, a response that God is looking for in you and I. And I think it's a good reminder for also never underestimate the power of the gospel. You share that simple gospel. It has the power for people to radically turn from going one direction right around and going in a completely different direction. That's the gospel that we get to share. And we never want to look at anybody and go, oh, he's just too far gone. Last time I was here, I was sharing with, we got the chance to go back to Australia where we got saved on a beach tacky and I, and actually hang out with a guy who actually led us to the Lord. And he said to us, I, I just want you to know of everybody. I mean, he was just getting, people were coming to the Lord. It's a real move for the Jesus movement back then in the 70s. And uh, he said, I, I just want you to know, I just about didn't share the gospel with you. I thought you were, I was like Levi, you know, <laughs> lifting for myself, <laughs> full pursuit, full bent. But just that simple gospel shared by that simple man turned me right around on a beach and sent me in a whole completely different direction. What a God we serve. It's awesome. But we just want to share those simple words just share them, share them, share them. That's what we're here for, right? Otherwise, let's go home, you know? <laughs> Home's a much more fun place to be. So it kind of leads us right into chapter 6 with that. I mean, we just got those two examples of guys radically. I'm all in. Everything I have is yours, Jesus. Whether you want to take it away or leave it with me, whatever you want to do, Lord, everything I have is yours. Kind of takes us right into chapter 6. We're, we're right off with the Sermon on the Mount. In 6, verse 20, let's have a look at that. This is Jesus' first teaching here. And uh, what does he say? Looking at his disciples, he said, verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men ha hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. How are you doing with that? Yeah. Blessed. You're feeling blessed. <laughs> we are blessed. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you when you're well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, but you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. I mean, on the, on the face value of that, it kind of looks like Jesus is down on riches and, uh, and us having fun, you know. Better off, I mean, blessed are those who are mournful. They go around with their heads hanging down and they don't have any money at all, you know. The only problem with that is that Jesus didn't model that, you know. He must be talking about something else here. And he is. He's talking about a heart attitude. I mean, Jesus was happy. He was a great guy to be around. People don't want to hang out with people whose heads are hanging down all the time. Jesus was a fun guy to be with, you know. He was a party wherever Jesus went, you know, the life of the party. And he certainly was well off. I mean, he started that way. I don't believe the Magi come across. We just had Christmas, right? You do know that the Magi weren't there in the barn, right? <laughs> uh, Jesus, yeah, he ended up in a barn, and that helps us relate the lowest to the lowest point you can go. Uh, Jesus is there for you. 
But Jesus didn't stay there. He didn't stay in the barn. His, his parents were actually looking for a hotel. They wanted to rent a hotel. You know, where's the best, best Western here? Uh, in Bethlehem. And, uh, and then they probably had to get some money together and get this boy a little bit older to make the big journey 100 miles back to where they came from, where their home is. And that's probably why they tells us they rented a house. They were renting a house. And, uh, and Joseph was probably working, and, and they're just blown away. You know, it says Mary hit all these things in her heart. I bet she did. I mean, this is, this is a couple of teenagers, by the way, and they got these unbelievable things happening, being preg- pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is another story. I better not. This is one of those rabbit tales. My wife's going to be going. But I, I just wanted to point out, I was going somewhere with this. And where I'm going is, is the Magi come while they're renting this house, uh, working, and they come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we have the story of the Queen of Sheba coming across another desert, and uh, it tells us with the fame of, of who Solomon was, she brought cartloads of wealth, you know, cartloads of gold and silver and gems and all manner of riches to honor this king. Well, how about this? This guy's got a star, you know. They know that they're following the king of kings, the greatest king that will ever be upon the earth. I don't think they showed up with a few trinkets. I think they showed up with some serious gold and some serious myrrh and some serious frankincense. And that was worth a lot of money. Forget about Wall Street. I mean, that was serious assets to have at that time. So the only point I'm trying to make is, is that Jesus was launched into the world with a whole lot of wealth behind him. They didn't know at that point that they were going to have to go down to Egypt, and I don't know what, knowing relationships between Egyptians and Jews, how that was going to go for working there. But God set them up so they had the wealth to go down to Egypt, come back to Israel, and to set up shop again and get launched into Jesus' ministry. Jesus was well off, and uh, he, he even had an accountant to look after his finances. It's unfortunate his accountant had his finger in the the pie, but, but he did have an accountant, you know, so there was, there was some riches to deal with there. So God is not talking about that, and it's good to compare Scripture with Scripture, and back in the Matthew's version of it, Matthew 5, verse 3, is kind of, a Matthew makes it a little bit clearer in that he's talking about heart attitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God hasn't got any problem with us being well off. We're all at different degrees of that. We always think we need more. But what God is concerned about is who does the wealth that we have belong to? Not just our wealth, all of our assets, our abilities, our finances, everything we bring to the table. Are we all in with that? Or we just say, I'm all in, into the tank. God, everything I have, I've died to now, it's all yours. And then we carry on pursuing our own life and acting as if all that stuff was ours. That's what Jesus is speaking into here. And I want to spend a lot of time with that. But if my life is all about what I have, then I'm very poor. And if my life is all about who I have, then I'm very rich. Mm -hmm. Because God comes with a lot more to the table than I do. I'm just saying, you know. I can buy a little paltry bit here. I say, God, I'm hanging on to all of this stuff, you know. It's ridiculous. You want to position yourself for blessing, just open your hands up and say, God, it's all yours. And then you see him starting to pour in his 
ability and his provision. Much better, no matter how much it is. So Jesus is the ultimate example of that. If anyone had a right to self, it would be Jesus, right? Philippians 2, verse 5, just a reminder, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus said, have, or Jesus said, <laughs> Paul wrote, have this same heart attitude. You need the same attitude that Jesus had, where he emptied himself. I mean, if anybody had the right to hang on to, it was Jesus. But he emptied himself of all the rights he had as God. He had to be on this earth as a man. It was a man in the, in the garden that lost the authority on this earth, usurped it to the devil, and it required a man to take it back again. Jesus had to walk as a man. He limited himself. He gave up all those rights, all the glory, all the riches of heaven. And he walked upon this earth as an example to you and I. And God says, that's the heart that you need. All in, everything I have is yours, Lord. It's not mine. I pour it out. And we continue to walk like that, positioning ourselves in a, a position of availability to him. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Just an ongoing submitting of our lives to him, a sacrifice, a daily sacrifice to him of saying, God, everything I have is yours. What do you want to do with it today, Lord? I'm, I'm a steward. I'm going to, you show me how, in your word how to steward it well. I'm going to steward it well. But you show me, Lord, anything you want me to do with all the resources you've given me, they're yours. If it's all about me, I mean, I'm setting us up for something here. If it isn't, if that's not your heart, if it's all about you, me, me, mine, 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 then you're going to have a hard time stepping into what Jesus is about to teach them. Just a revolutionary teaching. He's about to give them, and he gives this first, just setting them up. If it's all about you, you're going to have a hard time expressing the love that God's called us to love. And that's where we're going in chapter 6. Luke 6, 27, let's read that. This is the most revolutionary thing. I mean, these guys are blown away. You can believe they're muttering to themselves after Jesus finishes this. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. What? <laughs> I mean, we have any, Jesus is getting started here, you know. <laughs> I think especially for the zealots, this must have been really tough on his team, you know. He's just, he just chosen his 12. And the zealots are coming in there, we're going to overthrow Rome, you know, and kick the bums out, and take the land back, and all the rest of it. Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbors by the cell. Your enemies, I mean, this is, this is really, I, I want to just emphasize this to us, because we kind of read over this, you know. We forget in all the other parts of serving him. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is a good word this morning, isn't it? We need to hear this word. I've preached this word before from different parts of the word. And I always get convicted. I go, hmm. <laughs> Let's just set that aside. 
That was the beginning of your teaching. I'm past that now. Anybody feel like they're past that now? I really want to meet you. you know? <laughs> I feel like I'm just getting started. You know? If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him on the other also. <laughs> what? If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Woo! Revolutionary, man. Revolutionary. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Don't we feel good when we really love somebody? Jesus said, that's not worth very much. I mean, sinners can do that, you know. Love those who love you and bless them. And if you do good to those who are good for you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as I am merciful, says the Lord. Whoa! Radical stuff. Radical, radical stuff. This is just cutting right across the norm. You know. The flesh doesn't like this word at all. This is not, not what I'm looking for. You know that bumper stickers, uh, stickers often reflect the philosophy of society. How about this one? Do unto others before they can do unto you. How about, I don't get mad, I just get even. Have you seen these? I mean, we laugh when we see them. Caution, I break for tailgaters. To err is human, to forget is out of the question. Well, it is without Jesus. Keep honking, I'm just reloading. I like that one. I'm sorry, I'm falling, you know. I just... I know the rest of you are much more spiritual. I'm just getting going here. Here's a great story from Britain. Late one summer evening, a weary truck driver pulled his articulated lorry, that's a semi-truck, by the way, into an all-night lorry park at the M1 Watford Gap service station. The waitress had just served him his supper, then three tough-looking leather-jacket Hells Angel motorcyclers walked in and came over to the stable and began to give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another took a handful of his chips, and the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. <clears throat> he ignored them and finished, finished his meal. Then he calmly got up, put his money uh, and bill on the cash register and went out of the door. The waitress followed him after putting the money in the till and stood watching at the door as his big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? She replied, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out here. <laughs> we are like, yeah. Come on. That's how we like to live. I mean, that gets lived out in a lot, most of the movies we watch, you know. Shows, even the news. <laughs> just revenge. It's the standard of this world. We want to get back at those who have mistreated us. We're schooled in it. It's natural to the flesh. But God's called us to be like him. Ooh. 
do you have to talk about this? Do you have to remind us? You know, He actually just doesn't want us to look like him in the way we bring the gospel with power. He wants us to look like him in our hearts, you know. And actually, Scripture says it's more important than doing the stuff. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says you can do some amazing things for God. But without this love we're talking about here, it's not that it's just not worth very much. I would really like 1 Corinthians to say that, you know. It's not worth much. God says it's not worth anything. Ooh, really? How much have I done that has really been out of his heart of love? Very sobering. He pours his love out those who reject and malign him. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your father is merciful. He pours out his son and rain on the saved and the unsaved. Doesn't treat them any differently. What? Wow. That kind of impact, love, we're told, impacts the world. Favorite story of Watchman and Me, I just love it. He tells a story about a Christian who owned a rice paddy next to that of a communist. The Christian irrigated his paddy by pumping water out of a canal. Every day after the Christian had pumped enough water to fill his paddy, the communist would come out, remove the boards that kept the water in his neighbor's paddy, and allow the water to drain into his paddy so he wouldn't have to pump the water. This continued for some time until the Christian could not take it anymore. He prayed, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose all of my rice, maybe even my field. What can I do? You shouldn't ask God that, you know. Because <laughs> you'll be surprised what he tells you. What can I do? The Lord began by putting his thoughts in his, these thoughts in his mind. The next morning, the Christian got up early and started pumping water into his neighbor's paddy first. Then he replaced the boards and pumped water into his own rice paddy. The result was that both rice paddies became productive, and the communist was softened by his neighbor's generosity. The two men became friends, and eventually the communist became a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, you can win some battles and lose the whole war. There's unsaved people out there. That's what we're here for, you know. And we may get our revenge. We may get back. But we lose the bigger picture, don't we? So what does that look like for us? Maybe mowing the lawn of a hateful neighbor? How about shoveling driveway of snow? You guys didn't get much snow up here, did you? <laughs> Volunteering to fill in for the mean-spirited co-worker who drives you crazy? Whoa. Workplace is a good place to test this out and see if it works, you know. <laughs> Perhaps being helpful to an ex-spouse. Perhaps providing for a parent who has been mean to you when you were a child. We say, are you talking about being a doormat? I mean, how can that actually work in the workplace? you got to stand up for yourself and... Make sure people realize, don't touch me. We learned that in the school ground, didn't we? But the reality is, is if you choose to do this, you release God into the scene. Remember we talked about back up? All I have is yours, Lord. What do you want me to do? I want you to bless those who mistreat you, hate you, and say all manner of evil against you. 
Because what happens is, is if you just carry on in responding in light kind, you just play right into the devil's hand. You invite darkness into that situation. But if you choose to love like I love, you release God into the situation. Proverbs 25, verse 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. <laughs> I mean, it's worth doing. You see God at work. God releases his reward. I'd rather have God's reward. Amen? Absolutely. And he's good at doing that. I dare you, try it out if you've never done this before. Who, who's the most irritable person that you're working with in, in the office space? I mean, they just make your life miserable. And you're just imagining in your mind, he done me wrong songs, just playing all the time, you know. How can I get this guy back? Your best prayer to heaven is God smoke him, you know. I mean, just get him. You never pray those prayers, no, I know. Appreciate that. But try this out. I mean, try it out tomorrow morning. Just, just start praying for him. You can do that, you know. And just start blessing. Lord, pour your blessing out on this man. You don't actually see him properly anyways if you're holding hurt against him. You're blind. Just start praying a blessing on that person. And what? It works. I've tried it out. It's amazing. It's amazing how quick it happens, you know. It's worth trying. Let God loose in their life. Abraham Lincoln once said he destroyed his enemies by loving them. I like that. How many enemies have you destroyed by loving them? All right, let me, I, I can't stay there. I just want to go through the rest of uh, chapter 6. Uh, we don't have to do this, but it's just interesting that Jesus bombshell, you know. He talks about hard attitude, be all in, and then bombshell about this love that everybody's going, What? And then he just starts massaging some things that add weight to what he's just shared with us. He starts here in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use it will be measured to you again. Now, we use this principle and when it comes to resources, finances. I mean, that scripture bears that out. We can use it for that. Give, you know, to the degree you give, God will multiply back to you and even more, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. But it's just good to point out here that Jesus is actually talking in the context of what he's just shared with us. You can keep judging and condemning and wanting evil to be poured out on those who are doing you wrong, or you can bless them and forgive them. But guess what, Jesus said, this principle kicks in. You, you got a choice here. And many times we just want to pander to the flesh and get our revenge. But Jesus is saying, do yourself a favor, you know. What you sow is going to come back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. The question Jesus is asking and presenting to those guys is the choice is yours. Which do you want multiplied back into your life? Don't expect multiplied back into your life if you're giving out the opposite. Bless and watch blessing come back on you. Forgive. There's an exponential 
principle happening in there. And he says in verse 35, your reward will be great as you sow his love. In Proverbs 25, 22 that we read, the Lord will reward you. Ah, he goes on, he's got more here. Verse 39, he also told them this parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. We're called to be like him (laughs) if we're going to be fully trained in him. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fall Oh, fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's face. Now, if you look at some commentaries on that, you'll find all kinds of different ideas about what that means. Here's Ivor Lewis's. I haven't found anybody else who's preached this. I'm just sharing that with you. But I really believe this is off of that. I think Jesus is continuing to massage off of this revolutionary, sacrificial, agape love of God that he wants to pour through us. And I think Jesus is just saying to us, listen, you think that the person that you are got odd against has got a plank in their eye, and you may have a speck in your eye. But Jesus says, as long as you're holding on to unforgiveness, it's the opposite. The plank is actually in your eye. You can't see properly. That's why when you get into this, you start blessing and forgiving, your eyes just start getting opened. And one of the reasons I believe that that's what Jesus is speaking to there, because I found in counseling people who are hanging on to odd against them, they are, it doesn't seem to matter what you say. They just are blind. They're oblivious to the truth. You know. Jesus has forgiven us for so much. He tells us that again in Matthew. The story of the king forgives one, remember? One of his stewards, he forgives him because he begs. He owed him millions and millions of dollars. It'd be something the guy could never possibly pay back. That's you and me, right, when it comes to sin. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Not just a good song, it's true. And here this man being forgiven for millions and millions now turns to his servant who owed him what would be like pennies. And he refused to forgive him that debt. And Jesus in the parable says, they handed him over, hand him over to the jailers. And Jesus said, this is what will happen to any of you if you refuse to forgive. We can sit with this unbelievable forgiveness. I mean, everything that we're allowed to enter into and to judge others with the law, you hold it against them. It's sobering, isn't it? Leonardo da Vinci once had a terrible falling out with a fellow artist just before he began to work on The Last Supper. The painting. The story is told that he determined to paint his enemy in as Judas. It was a perfect likeness. Then he began painting the likeness of Jesus. No matter how hard 
He tried. Nothing seemed to please him. Finally, he realized that he could not paint the portrait of Jesus as long as his enemy had been painted into Judas's face. Once that was corrected, then the face of Jesus came easily. Pretty good picture, isn't it? I mean, you're never going to reflect the face of Jesus as long as you're painting your enemy in such a manner, unless you repent of any bitterness in your heart. Luke 6, just continuing to feed this, Jesus has just given us all kinds of incentive. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of his overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus said, here's a principle. I want you to bear good fruit. I just shared what the good fruit is that I want you to share. My love to those who don't deserve it. And by the way, whatever you're allowing to be fed into your heart, if you just keep singing that he done me wrong song and just meditating on how you can get even, it's feeding into your heart. You're never going to express, never going to have my heart, you're never going to be able to express that as long as you just keep meditating on. So what are we meditating on? What are we looking at? What are we feeding into our hearts? Because whatever you feed in there, that's who you become no matter what you say. Just moving right along here. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock, when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. When the flood came, not if the flood comes, right? But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice like a man to build a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Really interesting, isn't it, after what Jesus has just spoken about? Because it's so revolutionary, I don't think anybody can receive it, respond to it fully, who's standing there listening to Jesus. And Jesus said, each one of you is a living house. You're like a home, you know. You're about to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's coming. But each of you are building, and it can look really good, but it depends on the strength of the foundation, what you built. Is it going to last? Is it going to go the distance? Are you going to mature and be strong? We've just seen all kinds of floods to demonstrate that. Just built on the sandy land, and you watch that home just disappear down the river. And shocking, you know. But Jesus said, here's how you can build upon the rock, a solid foundation. You can build on a solid foundation of the rock of God's word, not just heard, but applied to your life, you know. Or you can build upon the earth the ways of this world. And Jesus, after sharing this, I think he's saying to these guys, I'm not just talking for the sense of talking here. I want you to do something about this. 
So I want to say to you, I'm not just talking to you this morning for the sake of talking to you. I want to challenge us, me included. Just stand up with me right now, would you please? We're going to pray. We're going to close here. Lord, there isn't anybody who could honestly say, I've got this here this morning, Lord. We just know that. And so as we're listening to your word, Lord, we want to say yes, Lord. We want to apply this word to where we're living. Examine our hearts right now, Holy Spirit. Catch any heart attitudes. Help us make the adjustments this week. Because you've called us to do good to those who hate me. Good to just think a minute. Is there somebody God's talking about here as we're praying? You want me to do good to those who hate me. Show me, Lord who I'm not responding with your love, Lord. Forgive those who hurt me. Okay, Lord, I can do that out of obedience. But bless those who curse me? Really? Jesus, pray for those who mistreat me. All I can do, Lord, reading this word, is cry out with us together, Lord, and say, Jesus, here am I, Lord, (laughs) fallen man, Give me your heart, Lord. Anoint me afresh and enable this word to be alive in me this week, Lord. I just pray, Father, people have heard this word today. We'll take it. Spend some time, Lord, looking at it again. Saying, where am I at with this word, Lord? Because you said it's not just important. It is the most important. That everything you've called us to, Lord, comes out of relationship with you. You've called us to express you in it all, Lord. And we just want to draw near to you, Lord Jesus. We invite you to touch us afresh, Lord. Your presence, your power. Be released in us this week, Lord, to make some adjustments. Thank you, Father. We want to be all in, Lord, wherever we're holding back, Lord. We want to be all in now, Lord God. Everything we have is yours. Everybody said amen. 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 Come on. (laughs) God is good. He's on the throne.